This is a free full episode preview of Slate's Game of Thrones podcast, a TV club series that's just for Slate Plus members. To hear us recap each new episode of the sixth season of Game of Thrones, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash Game of Thrones. Hi, and welcome to Slate's Game of Thrones podcast, a TV club series that's just for Slate Plus members. I'm Willa Paskin, Slate's TV critic, and I'm joined today by not one, but two <laughs> esteemed Game of Thrones experts slash fans slash kibitzers. Uh, they, we call them sexperts when it's Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes. I don't think we're going to get to talk about sex. That's a... <laughs> That's like a tease, Dan. Weird. I'm joined by Dan Coyce in DC, Slate's culture editor. Hi, Dan. Hiya. <laughs> and Mac Rogers, um, a playwright and the creator of the excellent Panoply podcast, The Message. Hi, Mac. Hi, Will. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Great. Um, this episode of the Slate Plus series about Game of Thrones is titled The Kill Your Father and Don't Forget to Kill the Baby episode. <laughs> I know Great that something advice. more important happened, quote unquote, <laughs> more important, and Jon Snow opened his eyes. But to me, that was genuinely overshadowed by <laughs> the needless death of a one-day-old child, um, but which we will get to. Yeah, so why don't we start with that death that so shook you, Willa? Well, why do you call it needless? Ramsay Bolton cannot ascend to the throne in the North from the North unless he takes care of that heir who threatens his rule. Oh, He took care of Roos, his dad. And uh, little baby Roos Jr., um, Roos my, the third. My issue is not that Ramsey Bolton would kill a baby and that he maybe sure. he needed to, quote unquote. It's like, did we sure. need to see him kill that baby? There was genuinely three moments in that scene where I expected us to cut away, being fully <laughs> aware that he had murdered this child, right? Like when he, right. when he, after he kills his father and he says, please bring Wenda and the baby to me, I'm like, they're dead. Then when he takes the baby in his arms, I'm like, they're dead. Then even when he brings them back to the dogs, they're dead. Like at no point would he need him, did we need to see him whistle like, and let the dogs out and then hear the sounds of a baby and woman being eaten by a pack of dogs. Like we, as, as people on Twitter pointed out last night, I mean, Ramsey Bolton does not lack for a very strong and clear character like we know what his deal is and that he's the most terrible awful man it's not like we're getting additional information about him when he murders a one day old which says the thing about ramsey but it's like we didn't need that can i ask you willa did you did you willa through that scene um i hid my hands my face and my hands. i will through the scene i was just like oh well he's going to talk to her for a while and then he's going to let the dogs out but i listened to the sounds they were quite no wait what is amazing. that verb to willa it means to fast forward. to willa it means to fast forward through oh, something awful. that you're just it. like, I know it's going to happen. I'm bored. Well, I'm actually going to agree with you, Will, which is a surprise to me because I'm a big horror movie fan and I watch lots of movies with lots of gore in them or whatever. But yeah, it was partly is I think there's a little thing with me where I get to I, I feel a little element of resentment where I like I was watching is like, OK, so so he just killed Bruce, you know, and he's obviously making the big power play. And I, for me, it was just enough to kind of see what's the, the character's what's Walda. Is that her name? Wenda. Uh, oh, excuse me. OK. Yeah. Where she where she I, I almost had the full effect from her. Just like having to take a stroll in the snow, and she had given birth like what, like two hours before or something like that, and he has her strolling up to them with the baby. Like and almost at that point, I was almost like, "All right, I I've got what I need." And then when she hands the baby to him, he gives her this amazing look, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, this is the end of the scene." When it goes several minutes past that on a show that is already super tight for time, there's a part of me that starts seeing Benioff and Weiss deep in the background of the screen, like high fiving each other and going. 
you mad? Like that where I start, I start to feel a little resentful. I'm like, I got it several minutes ago and this show needs the airtime for some other stuff. Yeah. I actually almost thought when he took the baby that they were like, I was like, oh, you're going to do something weird and he's not going to kill her and mm-hmm. kill the kid. And that would have been interesting, but that isn't what happened. No, I will no, say also not. that in just him killing his father, which we sort of have like jumped over his sort of right. sudden and unexpected, I think, murder of his father, Roos, which, I mean, had to happen eventually, but I didn't know that we were expecting it to happen now. I am reminded now that we're away from the books, now that the show is off books, that a couple things happened in this episode that almost just felt like turning some storylines from the books like into nothing. They're like, yeah, we're sorry that we spent all much of this time on it, but like now we're just done with it and... Honestly, if it had been up to us, we wouldn't have ever even like gone down this avenue. Roos being one of them, although I think sort of important to establishing Ramsey's character, but the fact that all of Slaver's Bay now has turned back into slaveholding cities means that we spent all this time with Danny conquering towns other than Marine that for no end that we're not going to go back to, that we just like were hanging out with her for no reason. And also the stuff on the Iron Islands where we see Balon Greyjoy killed by like in some insane almost impossible to follow set of exposition by a person we've never seen characters we've barely seen all of last season where you're just like probably if you guys had had your way this would have been streamlined way well, back in the day that's what i was gonna, have we seen that dude before which I, I, one the, the 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 brother on the we on have the not seen the bridge? brother okay. we've, we've, all right well, we've well, so let's move to the let's move to the iron islands then and discuss that so that's uh that is um we're seeing balan Greyjoy, um the patriarch of the the Iron Islands, the, the Ironborn, hair seafaring, uh, drowned god worshiping, fish smelling assholes, <laughs> and rickety uh, bridge building. Yeah, bridge, really rickety bridge building. <laughs> uh, with his daughter Yara, who of course we um, kind of like. Like she seems to know what's up. She seems pretty capable and cool. She is constantly overshadowed by her stupid brother Theon. And uh, Balin yells at Yara a little bit, and then he goes out on the bridge, and he's met by a, a mysterious cloaked guy. It's his brother, Euron. 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 Just to make it hard um, and easy yeah. to tell them apart. <laughs> right. So he um, he has been out to sea for many years, and Balin's heard all kinds Dan, of crazy Dan, you're genuinely rumors. giving this storyline, like, way too much credit already. Like, basically, this guy we didn't know got killed by this other guy we didn't know. There's, like, a new king of the Ironborn. That's, like, what the story is. Like, well, but he's okay. not the we're new... Having, like, we're having a but battle is for there, power. But there's we gonna do be not a... know who the new king right. of the Ironborn there's will be, gonna because be... there must be a king's, king's moot! <laughs> king's moot! <laughs> Guys, what is a king's moot? <laughs> yeah, they kept saying... Well, that. I'll tell you, Willa. <laughs> Kingsmoot is basically like an election for king. So anyone who wants to be a king. I'm uh, sorry, you're telling me there's going to be a way of picking a king on Game of Thrones that does not involve bloodshed. No, there will be bloodshed. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A Kingsmoot is how the Ironborn uh, choose their king. It's like people obviously, as I recall, and for a reason that I will get to in a second, uh, there is some information about this extant. Uh, people with a, who are like heirs to the throne have a real claim, but lots of people can throw their name in um, for a king's moot. But essentially, whoever's in there, you're making your case to the people of the Iron Islands over why you should be king, and they more or less like vote for you. And I mean, I think there can be some bloodshed along the way. For example, maybe you killed the previous king. I would say that I thought that this was interesting because if we think of last week's episode as having been this sort of like girl power episode where Mm -hmm. all these women came to power or seemed like they were the power, this was like this reminder that, haha, no, because basically, um, 
you know, she has a, a good claim on the throne and she's not necessarily going to get it. But she's going right. to have to well, match so, a couple of things about this. So first of all, uh, Iran is played by Pilu Azbek, who will I think you know. Who is known and loved by many from his yeah. work in the wonderful, fabulous, go watch it right now, Danish series, Borgen. <gasps> That's how he's I knew who that spin dude was. <laughs> of course. He's the, he's Please the say sp- that name again. Spin Doctor. No, he, his Thank name you. is, uh, that's not his name, but that his profession. I was looking at his face. He was the Spin Doctor from, uh, from, yeah. from Borgen, or how, I don't know how to pronounce it. You could barely see his face, so you're, you know. Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm so well, psyched so, to see him again now. And it's actually just really sad that Katrine von Fonismark, which is the character's name also from Borgen, but who played um, the awesome, um, she was one of the women who lived above the wall uh, last season who um, gets killed by the White Walkers, but she was like the only... Uh, real character of of those set of wildlings like she she basically dies so that her baby can live she was like the leader of the wildlings Mm -hmm. i'm forgetting her name she also was on borgen so they don't get to meet up but But you get a little a little more borgen i mean i don't want to nerd out about borgen too badly but like what needs to happen is that the lead woman from borgen needs to show up in game of thrones because she's it's a really good show she would i mean there i'm sure they will introduce 1000 more characters (laughs) eventually they'll just have to cast her because yeah yeah. exactly But so what's interesting about, I mean, there are many things. I think that this plot line is pretty interesting. I think the Iron Islands are weird and crazy and like an odd kingdom within a kingdom in the seven kingdoms that like makes no sense. And you have like so much really patience. does elect this king. But here's why, which is that this scene, this sequence was a reminder that for all the joy that we have had for being past the books uh, in many of our main storylines, it was a good reminder that we're not past the books everywhere. There's a bunch of shit that happened in books three and four that I barely remember like this, that we're now going to like get through. So now the seasons are going to be like a mix of shit from the books that no one remembers because we read it like 11 years ago uh, and brand new stuff. This is also true about brand, right? I mean, we've seen this stuff that's happening with brand in the books already. It's just showing up in the show now. Yeah. Did, did Uh, brand have flashbacks in the books? Like, did we get the past story in the way that we're about to in the show? I honestly can't remember because it was so fucking long ago. That was quite startling to me, actually. Was um, is I, I I'm not sure if there have been proper flashbacks, and these weren't even like. There's a, only been one. What was there's the been this the one where their little girl Cersei meets the prophet, right? Tells right. her the prophecy about her family. I really like that flashback. Like I love that flashbacks are like a tool in the Game of Thrones arsenal now. No matter how cheesy the method is in which Bran has delivered them. Because there's always something about the show where history is very often treated as um, something that, like, only a very few people have access to. Just a very few, like, major, like, buff, ex- you know, buffs, experts, not buff experts. Um, but uh, uh, only the buff experts. Only the buffs. <laughs> like, really, history. really cut historians who, uh, yeah. masters <laughs> who are like masters of their own forms. Yeah, but they were like people like sort of standing in stone halls, pointing at some like bas relief and going, you know, this really. Really reminds me of when House Targaryen and they'll talk for, but like this may is all of a sudden seemed like that the that the past and that a lot of the uh, sort of old suffering and old happiness that informs a lot of the stuff on the show now suddenly felt freshly accessible uh, in a way that was very exciting because um, it wasn't just a stylistic choice but it was a motivated character action it was it was a it was a power that we see that Brand has that a flashback can be a thing that he compels to happen so if he wants to learn about stuff that as a tool that is now at his disposal, although is the Max von Sydow um, tree-living 
expert did warn him uh, it's not a tool to overuse. But I'm kind of excited that that's something that we have access to on the show now. Well, and also... I think more than flashbacks sometimes, like we really have no idea what happened. Like, I mean, we have a lot of ideas what happened. Like we know Liana gets raped and is going to come to terrible ends and all this, we sort of know where it ends up, but that's because there seems to be so much sort of mystery about paternity and like who did what to whom that everyone in the show and everyone who's ever watched the show or read the books still has that the, the flashbacks kind of have a little more like, it's not just like a blank spot between point A and point B. There's actually some mystery between point A and point B. Can you guys actually right, talk but a little I bit about been... Liana? I, everyone yeah, was freaking ahead. out. Everyone was freaking out about Liana last night. I, well, and I was wondering what was the story behind that? She is one of what she is the character who many people believe to be the key to unlocking the whole mystery of how this thing will end. Oh. Um, there are many, 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 many theories about her. I mean, are we allowed to say what the major theory is, or are we protecting sure. people? I mean, the major theory is that she's Jon Snow's mother, and that oh. and that um, Ned Stark didn't, is not actually Jon Snow's father, but that Lyanna was raped by a Targaryen and had Jon Snow, and he raised Jon Snow uh, as his own child, but actually Jon Snow is a Targaryen and a Stark. Okay, and yeah. that's not a thing that has been revealed like in the show or the books, but it's a prominent theory. Yes. Oh, yes. got it's it. It's like the it. theory. Okay, so her... The her. theory is that the show ends with Ice, Jon Snow, and Fire, Daenerys Targaryen, um, doing it on a dragon, I think, over... Although, <laughs> although the, the one issue is that if Jon Snow's paternity, paternity and maternity is Lyanna and a Targaryen, that makes him and... Danny, like extremely closely related, which That's not a problem for Targaryens. <laughs> Targaryens love that shit. Um, um like more than it, I like do. that they'll be like everyone embraces the happy ending, this incestuous <laughs> right. happy ending. Um, right. remember when you thought that brothers and sisters fucking was bad, Game of Thrones viewer? Well, now it's good. Um, I do, I will say just about those flashbacks, we should maybe mention um, Hodor, right? Who, yeah. who I it was interesting to see as a uh, speaking um, stable boy, but I did like almost recoil to think about the horror in his future. Like the right. chances that he has not witnessed or been made to participate in like the rape and murder of Lyanna Stark, I think is like zero. Oh, oh okay. Oh, I don't actually think that's going to happen at all. I, Why do I you mean, think he only has one word? Well, I think something horrible happens to him, but I don't think it's that because I think that happens far, far away, and he's like a stable boy. Like, but then maybe he like participates in like her having to leave. Like I just think it's going to be connected. Like he's just so traumatized, he only right. has one word. He's definitely is traumatized by something. But like so, this the the revelation of Hodor's previous name uh, and seeing him walking around talking that to me was the thing that overshadowed Jon Snow over, <laughs> opening his eyes. That was like the most important takeaway <laughs> from this entire episode. That he has a name and it's Willis. Uh, I love it. I, I'm so happy to see Hodor walking around and that I was so happy to see how happy Bran was. Uh, Bran clearly has not made the connection that in some time later in his flashbacks, he's going to see something horrible happen to his buddy Willis. Because, you know, people haven't been spending the last six months online going, you know, Hodor is totally going to turn out to be named Willis. Uh, yeah, so that it was true. a much more high impact revelation. That's much, a much better surprise. Totally. Do we, I actually had a question, uh, about Cersei that was raised a minute ago. Um, yeah. When she saw that prophet, like when we have the flashback of her learning that her three children are going to die, basically, which mm-hmm. were, were two thirds of the way to happening, who, like, what was the religion of the prophet? Oh. Do we know? I'm just curious, like, given that Melisandre just, just resurrected someone, are, are we like really, I mean, 
the red god is real. So That's a great are question. we like in a pl- like are we pretending all these religions are real or is it not clear at this point that that like one of them super is? Like is the high Let's sparrow Let's pause for one second while I try and look this up. Hold <laughs> on. Uh, she's a fortune teller. We don't know what religion she is or even if she is a religion. She is meant is said to have magic. She's like vaguely from the east. But we she we don't know. But you're right that like this god, the red god works. That shit works. Yeah, it's like I never the drowned know god less clear. Seriously. Maybe yeah. the drowned god works. Like some magic from Karth that works. Bravo's shit that works. But like so all magic works. Right. I mean then does right? that mean it just doesn't actually come from the red god or any of those sources it's just about something else that we don't know yet or never will know. Or just like there's some up like some wellspring of magic in here, like it's fucking Xanth or something. And it's like and, the high uh, sparrow just like justified in doing what I mean, if we're supposed to start treating like all religious figures and the gods from which the wellspring of their magic, you know, uh flows, uh, is is the high sparrow are we supposed to think he's basically in the right? He's a good guy, he has access to something uh, uh truthful, or uh because I've been sort of processing him as, you know, sort of a sort of a fraud. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong to do that. Well, I think the high sparrow is... I mean, he's definitely is, a jerk. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think he's a fraud. I think that he is like a... I mean, he's what's difficult about all evangelicals of any stripe, which is that he totally believes truly. Mm-hmm. So, like, the fact that he's so rigid and and seems so un, sort of unfair and cruel is not coming from a place of just, like, mercenary power grabbing, although that may be a side product. It's like, because he believes it. Well, that's what I was wondering, is like, is if he's if he's, if, if he's correct or not to believe it, like where he's like saying, oh, uh, uh, confess, Marjorie, and I'm like sitting there going, dude, Marjorie, don't confess. Don't give him the satisfaction. And it's like, well, wait, is, is, is he, does he, has he heard something, has he heard some divine truth that people should confess to crimes and is what she's done a, a crime truthfully? Well, I mean, if he was just making a mercenary power grab, uh, he would have killed all those people uh, already. I mean, Tommen also, would be dead he, and so would Cersei. He has exhibited no magic. Right. If the measure in Westeros of the worth of your religion is whether you can do magic with it, he's the only religious figure who has done none. If the measure of your worth of a religion, as in the real world, is whether it leads you to guide your life and like live your life in a benevolent and consistent way... Well, I mean, he still doesn't score very high on that. He's not that <laughs> But it is consistent. But he's very consistent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would say also he is, in a way, like, more powerful. I mean, he can't bring people back from the dead, but he does have power. I mean, he has King's Landing on lock, you know? Like, he has an yeah. army. But that, yeah, that's what something I've been wondering about now for several episodes is that it figures very prominently in this episode in the scene in the, in the Sept, as particularly um, uh, in the confrontation between Tommen and Jamie and then the Sparrow when he comes in. It has not been completely clear to me how the Sparrow has pretty much ended up running the show in this way. Uh, there, there's never there's never been a moment where it's been exactly dramatized to my satisfaction. And maybe I missed a detail. Maybe you guys can help me. Does he have more men than the King's army? Uh, is it purely just because Tommen? can't order any violent act to be carried out by any of his soldiers i can't figure out why this guy is holding all the cards over like the royal family that presumably has the army it seems to me though i agree that it has not been spelled out that tommen fears the power of the church within king's landing Mm -hmm. and that he feels he cannot directly contradict the church and order things that are contrary to what the church has demanded happen. And also, I think it is about force, because I think that the church is much more organized, and they have all these, they have an army, essentially, of believers. And Tommen, because Jamie's been gone, because he doesn't have, like, a someone he can trust who's in charge of of 
arms, like has not been able to violently counteract uh, the right. force of the church. And doesn't necessarily show a willingness to do that. Right. Either. And, and or I the think know-how. there have been opportunities where Tommen could, by show of force or will, overcome it. And that's, in fact, what he's sort of apologizing but to. I th- right. But I think Cersei there is also about. the implication that, like, he couldn't even command that army if he had wanted to. Like, that they actually, he's, a, he's like a child king and they would kind of listen to him. But that in the absence mm-hmm. of Cersei and Jamie, there's no grown up. Mm-hmm. Okay. I appreciate that. He, he does have the mountain. Of course. Well, Cersei really has the mountain. Now, what, is, mountain. what is going on with that? What is the? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, so we saw. So that dude is Cer- the new Cersei's member of the King's Guard. He very clearly appears to be the Mountain who um, was who killed Oberyn, but then also was poisoned by him in the process last season, and then was brought back to life by that like sorcerer dude who Cersei hangs out with. And uh, is now like an undead Frankenstein's monster who can smash a guy's head against a wall while he's peeing. And this, by the way, was a banner episode for heads being casually smashed into walls. I think that happened twice in about three minutes of running time. I'd actually love us to um, let's listen carefully to the sounds of those head smashings. Um, because I thought they were really unique and, and astonishing. Can we hear, um, the mountains head smashing against the wall of the peeing guy? Great, and now let's hear the giant's head smashing of the wall against that hapless archer. They're really quite amazing. <laughs> they don't compare to the sound, of course, of a baby getting ripped apart by dogs, which is the signature sound of this episode. Let's hear that. That's all very nice. I love that uh, we're I like think, the drive time uh, Game of Thrones podcast. Really, yeah, the, we're cutting. Just giving you the good sound. stuff. I will say my very favorite sound effect was not was not was not the 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 dude's head smash, but the sound of his urine as he slowly turned around <laughs> and saw the mountain and started peeing on the mountain's armor. So the urine yeah. sound stopped, started going from a dirt spatter to a metal clank. That was some yeah. really excellent sound design. Let's give it up for the sound designers of Game of Thrones. Those guys are doing hard work. They're, it's really hard to make so many wet impacts <laughs> sound so different. And piercings and smashings, it's hard. Those guys work hard. Where where haven't we hit yet? What are we missing? There's Tyrion again. Oh, yeah. In Marine. In Marine. You know, yeah. talking about how all our time we spent in Slaver's Bay is completely garbage, useless time town right. and deciding to free. By the way, I just want to say, so we have this long scene where Tyrion f- has a sort of lovely moment with these dragons where he's kind of talking to them and soothing them and freeing them as mm-hmm. if we don't remember what happens when the dragons are freed. The whole reason we chained the dragons up is because they were eating people and burning down like f- shepherds and their flocks and they stopped doing yeah. that. Like, it's yeah. fine if they have to be freed to like eat and stuff but don't pretend we don't know why they got locked up i couldn't follow the logic of that entire sequence i couldn't follow number one 
what he thought releasing the dragons would be in aid of number two the scene which i thought dinklage played, played beautifully and there was great interaction between human and cgi in the scene the scene where he was in the act the dungeon with the dragons of course um what i couldn't I, I couldn't totally follow why he decided he'd failed at what he was trying to do he let them go they kind of like you know walked around being surly for a minute and he walked out and made some wise crack about how it had all gone badly no i think he just was like that, that was, was really it. scary yeah. i shouldn't have done yeah. that that was ill-advised oh he wasn't saying he thought he failed. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. No, no, no. I think his goal is for him to, for those dragons to be beholden to him. I mean, his goal is Daenerys is gone. God knows if she's coming back. They have these incredible weapons locked up that can't do anything for them because A, they're locked up and B, they only listen to Daenerys. So if he can get them out in the world as free range dragons, I mean, they'll be healthier, obviously, and happier. Their meat will eventually be more tender and delicious. <laughs> but also, that makes him in some way, he's not the father of dragons yet, but he has a shot at having those dragons look at him as some kind of a leader and being able to harness that force. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the, the uncle of dragons. That's yeah. a great, that's a, yes, that's perfect. And so he has the ability the to harness that force uncle. to some extent. Right. Um, and right now those dragons are totally useless to them. They're just going to waste away and become like the size of chickens, apparently. No, it's like only um, after they breed to the size of chickens. That's what doesn't really make sense about that. Hey, guys, uh, I hear a battering on the door. It seems like the wildlings are about <laughs> to break in. Uh, in fact, it's the fire alarm going off in my building, so you guys continue talking while I um, clear out uh, to the other side of the wall and try and achieve some safety. All right, all right, all right. be safe. Be safe. <laughs> no giants, I hope. I, I'll, I would add uh, just something about the Stark sisters like that, that you brought up. Uh, is, uh, uh, you know, obviously the episode ended in a moment that made lots of people happy, but there was a moment in the middle of it that that made me very happy just because I felt like we hadn't seen anything like it for a very long time was the, the moment where uh, Brienne gives Sansa a little bit of an update oh, so on having seen Arya. And, and she says, oh, she wasn't dressed like a lady. And, and, and Sansa says, no, she wouldn't be. And I was like, whoa, is and correct me, it seemed like this was the first time in a long time that a Stark sibling had gotten a positive update about a relative, and they got to be happy about that for two seconds. Yeah. And that was a lovely moment. It was lovely. It made me feel like my my actually happy ending for Game of Thrones, not that there's going to be a happy ending, <laughs> but like my the moment I am most looking forward to is like Sansa and Arya, who had this sort of contentious sister relationship, finally seeing each other after these low horrible years and yeah. just being like oh, i really yeah. like i hate you but i love you so much i'm so happy you're, you survived i don't know how you did it i guess there's two ways to uh -huh. live in westeros and and like hugging i'm really looking forward uh, yeah to that. no i, Maybe I, that I definitely be a hug, am as well but yeah. that's like <laughs> i'll take it yeah, I mean, I have no idea. They have managed to actually sow very effective doubts as to whether they'll give us any of the payoff moments that we all right. want. But yes, that one's very high on my list as well. I, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely agree with that. And that was, uh, um, I, I am very curious in with the whole Kingsmoot situation and with how, with um, uh, uh, how everything is going in the in the on the Iron Islands. What exact what exact kind of welcome Theon's got waiting for him there? There was that emotional moment right after the, that conversation with Brienne where she goes and talks to Theon he says you know um I would have seen you the rest of the way to Castle Black but Brienne is way a way better bodyguard um so I'm just going to go home because I could never possibly make up to your family all the things I did to them so I'm going home to and it's really so right after he does that everything goes to crap completely yeah. in the Iron Islands I was like at first I was like well he's going to go home and his dad's going to kill him or whatever but now I don't I really don't know what's going to happen to Theon and whether or not he might impact this King's mood in some way 
That would be fun to think, but I mean, he's just a shell of a person. Yeah, yeah. Is there is there any juice left in him? Yeah, it's, it's a, I'm very curious to see how that plays out. I think that we only have one subject left to talk left to talk about, and that is, of course, the resurrection, right, <laughs> of our Lord Jon Snow. <laughs> so I know that this was a moment that we've all really been waiting for um, since Jon Snow was murdered at the end of last season. There's been in the off season, I think thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of hours and minutes and words (laughs) spilled on whether or not he was alive. I think basically everybody knew that he was alive. Um, It was like the worst kept secret in Game of Thrones history. Although, to be fair, it's not their fault. They did everything they could, including straight up lying about it. I'm interested to read the interviews with Kit Harington, in which he is like, I just had to practice lying for months and months. Um, uh, And he... You know, Melisandre, basically, Davos goes to Melisandre and says, maybe you could resurrect this guy. And she says, I've got no, ju- I can't do that. And he says, have you really ever tried? And she's like, okay, I'll give it a go. She gives it a go. Very, like, kind of, I feel like it's very, um, the timing of his resurrection was, like, very 80s movie to me. It was just like, oh, it didn't work. Everyone leaves the room. And then you're like, but we're still here. I wonder what's going to happen. Like, there was actually nothing about the sequence that I found suspenseful at all. And maybe that's just because I knew, like, mm-hmm. I believed that he was coming back. But, I mean, I'm, I was happy to see him. Right. Um, and with his new haircut and his, like, very <laughs> trim body and very mm-hmm. precise stab wounds. Right. But... Like, nothing about his death actually ever worked for me as, like, a thing that I was concerned about. Well, the sequence itself I also did not find suspenseful because I was almost certain that they were going to resurrect him. And, of course, you know, the um, none of the magical incantations meant anything to me. I mean, the washing of the, washing of the wounds was, um, was, it was at least uh, kind of thrillingly tactile in how it was presented. So it wasn't just, you know, uh, um, making weird hand gestures. There was something sort of uh, earthy and fleshy about it. Uh, what I found much more interesting about it was the lead up because I think uh, this is one of the very few examples I can think of on the Game of Thrones television show at least where a person is rewarded for being a straightforwardly admirable person and I'm going to hedge with rewarded because I don't know exactly what kind of life after death Jon Snow is going to have now that's a bit of an unanswered question how much of a reward it is but assuming a coming back to life is at least a partially cool thing uh, it's very interesting that the primary drivers behind making this happen very few of them are actually John's close friends. That's what's interesting to me. There's Sir Davos and there's uh, and there's Melisandre. Neither of them were like his super tight buddies, but they were the. But there's something about the fact that they both thought that he was worth this tremendous extra additional effort, not just to win Castle Black back from Alistair and those other, uh, you know, and, and those corrupt guys, but. Um, but to specifically bring Jon Snow back to life, he's because he like you know like a lot of a lot of his half relative Starks was one of those kind of like dopey I'm going to be admirable all the time and not pay any attention to people who are plotting against me type you know uh, which which other Starks have paid for dearly. But Jon uh, uh, and he did as well. But there's something that they admired so much about him, despite not getting to know him super well, either one of them, uh, that they both thought that there was something worth going to all this trouble to bring him back to life. And I thought that was a very rare example of virtue being somewhat rewarded. Well, also, I mean, it is it is interesting about John because this is the first character we've now encountered that it seems the show and George R. R. Martin before is unwilling to kill. Right. So that sets a totally new precedent. I mean, it's possible John Snow will die again, but the, <laughs> the last person we met who had been resurrected, 
basically how Davos knows that people can be resurrected, who was resurrected six times. So it's not like it just happened once. Like, he was resurrected six times. So it's like, even if they killed John again, he could come back. And I, and I just wonder if that sort of changes the tenor of the show at all. I mean, we are sort of getting to... We're winding down, even if it's a very long hill, we still have right, to go. Right, the home and there remain a number of characters, I think Tyrion and Danny being the other two, who those of us watching the show and having read the books, not that I was one of those people, but have sort of suspected were unkillable because right. if they die, like really, what is the point? Um, mm-hmm. And I think this was the first time that, that we kind of got proof that like there is a limit to the chaos that can descend upon this universe. And one of those limits is like living in it without Jon Snow. Yeah. That's really, and it sort of seems as if some of the fictional characters have uh, sort of have that same uh, take as well. So I'm very interested to see, uh, you know, where this is going to go, uh, knowing sort of George R. R. Martin and Benioff and Weiss's approach to show running. I suspect there's going to be something really, really crappy about being alive <laughs> after you were dead. There's going to be some awful drawback. I don't know. I can't even imagine what it'll be. But I am very, very curious to see what a, what a, what a resurrection of a major character plays out like right. on this show. Um, so we are going to conclude in a minute but we do have to hit up our weekly segment on the worst person in westeros you're the worst shit in the seven kingdoms plenty worse than me i I actually think this segment needs to be amended um (laughs) it is the worst person in westeros who is not ramsey bolton like we can't talk about ramsey bolton every week he's straight up the worst person in westeros today he need this week he needlessly killed a baby like it's kind and his father. It, it's just a little bit like there's no one else to make a case for. It's it is apparent. Maybe we should torture ourselves into trying to make a case for the second worst person in Westeros just to keep <laughs> things interesting. Well, Dan already ruined my uh, super contrarian pick uh, of Tyrion Lannister for letting a weapon of mass destruction. Uh, uh, kind of roam free over the countryside. Now, Dan uh, made an eloquent uh, uh, case for that before the wildlings turned up, but uh, uh, I, I still have pretty serious doubts about the idea of releasing the dragons before Daenerys is back and uh, uh, knowing what they do uh, uh, and um, and it not being clear that that's a solution to any of the problems that they were discussing, particularly the total... Uh, um, the, the 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 total lack of pro- the, all of the progress being rolled back on slavery, as you said, um, uh, the 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 release of the dragons struck me as a shockingly irresponsible act uh, uh, this week. Though Dan does have some counterpoints on that, so just to be just to be a jerk, I'm going to pick Tyrion. Who's your pick? I actually have to say that I really just was like stuck on Ramsay. I think like I think everyone else like behaved pretty well this episode. Like all things being equal, um, I mean, there's some people that I really don't like, but like yeah. I mean, I continue to hate Sir Alistair with a fiery passion, and he can't die soon enough, as far as I'm concerned. And I can't believe actually we were not permitted to see his death at the hand of the Wildings when they stormed Castle Black. I know, huge letdown. Yeah, huge letdown. Um, but. Actually, though, the one thing I do want to just add about Ramsey is it sort of reminds me of Joffrey territory now, which is like we're creating this character or they have created this character who is so vile in every way. You actually want to see him die. And as with Joffrey, by the time he died and in the way he died, they were sort of made it so horrible that you kind of couldn't even feel really good about it. Because he's like, he gets poisoned slowly and he turns back into like a kid. And you're like, ugh, I'm a bad person for wanting him to die. Every time they do something with Ramsey in this way, I'm like, you're going to have to like do some 
I don't know what you could do to him so that I wouldn't be like pleased about him dying. But I, every but it makes me worried because I think they're going to try. Well, this show is very good at denying a good, clean feeling of payback. Yeah. This you saw it really strongly this week with Roose Bolton uh, because Roose Bolton he was so instrumental in the Red Wedding. Uh, like you really wanted to see that guy die bad. But, like, you didn't want to see him die by a single stab wound from a character so you hated much worse. Yeah, totally. Like, it was like, it was a, a, it was definitely one of these, oh, man, you want a Stark at least. If he's going to die by a single stab wound, you want it to yeah. at least be a Stark. Totally. Good point. All right. Guys, we're sad that Dan had to leave us to go fight fires, but... Um, Hope you're okay, Dan. <laughs> that's, a, that's a wrap for this week, I think. We will be back next week uh, with a rotating crew of Game of Thrones experts to discuss all things episode three and to learn what devious terrible traumas have befallen <laughs> Jon Snow on his trip um, either into his dog or into wherever you go in the afterlife <laughs> uh, for Slate I'm Willa Paskin I'm Mac Rogers Dan says bye too we'll see you guys next week Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.